Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Gotta be feeling good about what Mike White's done today. On third and four, he'll look to throw. In zone, Wilson, a big play downfield. Wilson still going along the sideline. He's not going to go down. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. Rodgers in trouble again, and he's sacked again by Quinn Williams. What a beast, number 95 for the Jets. Listen, thank you. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. I wanted to do a little something different to help you get to know the ins and outs of New Jets offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. So, going to take you on a journey. We're going to start with his first offensive coordinator job in Buffalo and take you all the way through to his most recent stop in Denver as head coach of the Broncos. Let's begin by taking a little trip to Buffalo and visiting our friend Drew Gear of the Rock Power Report podcast so he can fill us in on what Nathaniel Hackett was like as a rookie offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Oh boy. So we're talking about the Nate Hackett era of Buffalo Bills football. Uh, first of all, like if we're going to do this, I have to do it. I'm going to have to open a fresh one of these if we're really going to get into the nuts and bolts of what Nate Hackett football was like. And I want to start with a story. I'm sitting in the stands. It's 2013. We're watching the, you know, it was the second year I've had season tickets. We're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, and they, the the Bills have Jeff Tool in at quarterback. Now, mind you, this is a part of the storyline. Jeff Tool in at quarterback. They're on the one yard line. Now, this is a team that has some of the NFL's, but like they're one of the NFL's better rushing teams. They have Fred Jackson. They have C.J. Spiller, who's having a phenomenal season. Was drafted in the first round. They have a host of running back talents. And they've proven that they have an ability to do this job well. From the one-yard line, Nate Hackett calls for a screen pass by his third-string quarterback, I believe, at that point. And it's then that the ball is intercepted and run back down the field towards our end zone 99 yards for a game-deciding touchdown. Like, you had the play, but you got cute and you overthought this. Now, there's a lot of people who are going to hear that story and go, but Drew, it's one play. Well, let me let's get it. Let me go to work here and let me explain to you why it's not just one play, but it's kind of a it's it's like a microcosm here. Now, I will say to defend Nate Hackett in Buffalo. First and foremost, the quarterback situation was not the best. If you were a new 
you know, new to the NFL offensive coordinator, you couldn't have asked for a more tumultuous situation. You know, Doug, well, a lot of people don't know this. Doug Marone was brought in and he picked Nate Hackett as his offensive coordinator. When Doug Marone was hired here, it was done under the auspices that he was going to have Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, then our GM got cute and traded back in the draft and selected EJ Manuel with, I believe, the 16th overall pick. And it was at that point that he made it known that his intention all along was to always let Ryan Fitzpatrick go for cap considerations and start a rookie quarterback. Now, you can understand how Marone and the Hackett probably were blind. I would say blindside is fair. They, they, they took this job thinking, I'm going to have a veteran. I'm going to have a guy we can kind of learn together on the job. Nate Hackett probably thought he was going to have more runway than he did. Nevertheless, that didn't materialize. And so in 2013, Nate Hackett hits the field with a rookie quarterback. And it didn't go terribly right out of the gate. They were averaging 22, 22 and a half points per game for the first two months of the 2013 season, which isn't terrible. But they played just one game without a turnover and were often caught rushing the ball for just as many yards as they were throwing the ball. And what were they, 29th in the NFL on third down? And you didn't see any development from EJ Manuel. Now, some of that had to do with his health. He missed some games, he had some issues. And what you saw was a, a guy as a coordinator who hit the ground running with what looked seemed to be a full head of steam. There was warts, but some of that's just the talent. He has no marquee wide receivers. He doesn't have a he has a rookie quarterback. And then you watched him shrink and start to overthink the game of football. And before long, his entire like his entire passing offense just stagnated because he decided that horizontal passing, even though vertical passing was kind of what he had, again, some of you being Central New Yorkers might remember, his time at Syracuse. And I believe the quarterback's name, I don't want to say Nassib because I think it's going to be Carl Nassib, but it might be Nassib was the quarterback's last name at Syracuse University. And he was being talked about as the potential top 90 pick in the draft from this downfield vertical passing attack. And when Buffalo couldn't make hay using that here, he immediately, like, he just pivoted to something new. And it almost felt like he didn't put a lot of thought into it. And the offense down the stretch just stumbled. I think they only won a handful of games. They were routinely outscored. I mean, what was it? They only broke 20 points once down the last five games of that season. So you say to yourself, okay, rookie OC, he's going to take his lumps. He'll be fine. 2014 rolls around and the team improved marginally. They had the NFL's fifth best defense in terms of points, in terms of yardage, but Hackett was still Hackett and it reared its head in some really ugly situations. That moment from the chiefs game that I just described, there's a pivotal game that we go into against the Houston Texans where you say to yourself, okay, we're kind of trading wins and losses here to open the season. I really need a win here in order to get my feet under me, get above 500 and get some momentum. Well, then he calls a screen pass, but, but like it had been happening all game. Again, he'd gone to playing small ball because you could see that even as they were scoring a ton of points out, out of the gate that season, and they were winning some games. He no longer trusted manual. He'd already abandoned that. Now I think, most offensive coordinators have plans. If those plans don't go well, they massage them. They work around them. It's always knee-jerk reactions with this guy. So now he's operating playing this dink and dunk, 
horizontal passing attack, even though he's got two perfectly fine running backs. And EJ Manuel tries to throw a screen pass that gets intercepted and taken 80 yards for a touchdown by J.J. Watt. And it's a called play. There were no other routes that would have made any sense except for the one that was. So you knew that was his first read as it was called directly across the face of one of the NFL's preeminent defensive end talents. I blame. I don't blame the quarterback for that. I blame the offensive coordinator for not knowing any better. And they give up the lead. They never get it back. Ryan Fitzpatrick gets his revenge game. Like it was a big narrative here. And it was a huge blow to the team's psyche. He just again seemed in over his head a little bit. So after that, they go, they pivot and they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring in Kyle Orton. They said, all right, we've seen enough of this game against the Detroit Lions. We are going to bring in Kyle Orton. He's going to be our new starting quarterback. Now, this is again where you say, okay, you've got ideas, but they're not well conceived because supposedly Kyle Orton is supposed to be an upgraded passer. He's supposed to be more reliable. He makes more trustworthy decisions. The Bills, who were just one of the NFL's better rushing teams the year before, decide that they're now going to become the the team that's ranked 20th in rushing attempts for the rest of the season and just decide to try to air it out with Kyle Orton. And the results were kind of middling because, again, airing it out, quote-unquote, involved just more of the same horizontal small ball passing attack that doesn't win in the NFL. For all those extra passing attempts, the team had slightly more yardage, but only improved two spots in terms of points per game. And I think the worst part, the worst indicator was that Kyle Orton was supposed to be an upgrade from EJ Manuel, but their yards per attempt for the entire season only increased by two spots in the NFL hierarchy. That's crazy. You had a better quarterback and you only did that much better. Then maybe it's the plan that sucks. Maybe the thing you're rolling out here and maybe this conservative nature you've developed is just kind of a sign that when things get tough, you don't have another pivot. So when Doug Marone bailed on Buffalo back in 2015, when the team got sold, he had a clause in his contract that said he could void his deal and become a free agent. He did so. I think it was hilarious. He thought he was going to get your Jets job. He thought he was a shoe in for it, which is the only reason he pulled the ripcord on it. But there was some of us here in the Bills fan base that were quietly relieved that it does suck that our coach quit on us. But at least he's taking Nate Hackett with him. And it's hard to blame us as fans because you got to look at this. Yes, he was a rookie and people wanted to cut him some slack for that. But he was a classic overthinker. And these are narratives that you're going to see play out throughout his career from one stop to the next to the next. Overthinker. He overthought that play in the red zone against the Chiefs. He overthought the play against Houston. He overthought a multitude of things in between there. Go back to this last season in Denver. Here he is overthinking a decision on whether or not he wants to go for it or to try to kick a 60-something-yard game-winning field goal. His re- When you look back at our, our losses from 2013 and 2014, it wasn't uncommon to watch the Bills lose a one-score game. And when you look back and question why, because you say, okay, that's a fluke, losses in one score games, blah, 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 blah. The Bills, you know, the Bills fan base has had to deal with these narratives over the course of the last couple of years where they say the Bills can't win close ones. Well, this season we did. We won a bunch of them with an arguably worse offensive coordinator than we had last year in Brian Dable. What I watched happen, you when, especially when you dig into the fine metrics of this, 2013, 
They they lose to Cincy in overtime, Atlanta in overtime. They lose to New England. All of these games by a single score. Multiple games in 2014. When you go back and look at the fourth quarter offense, you can go to Pro Football Reference and look at the game by the full breakdown of play by play. They do this nice thing where they put in the EPA of every individual play that gets run. The EPA, it's just, for those of you who don't know, expected points added, where it shows the value of that individual play to an inevitable scoring drive. You know, if you were to throw a 75-yard touchdown to open a drive, then that play is worth six, because that one play was worth, credited six points. Usually, by and large, it's a fractional thing. It's like you know two or one point five because it's a quality play, not a quality play. It's a it's a complicated metric, but it paints a picture for you. Through both of those seasons and every single one score loss, Nate Hackett had not one but two or three whole drives that where every single play of the drive was worth negative EPA. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. <laughs> usually there's at least one play where you go, okay, that was a three-point play. Like, if we could get down the field, it might be good enough to get us into field goal range depending on time distance. None of them. He would run whole drives full of negative plays and punt within five snaps. And it, it's just, it was just a consistent thing. And if the hero ball play didn't work out for him, his drives would stall. Because his dink and dunk attack, conservative nature, I think he inevitably did go back. You know, you look at his time in Jacksonville. He figured out how to utilize running backs once he had a lead. (laughs) But otherwise, and then you look at Denver. Again, this is a team that would, you know, Javante Williams getting hurt obviously isn't ideal. But you have Melvin Gordon, who proved last year he's a quality running back. You got Latavius Murray, who still looks like he has some gas left in the tank. Yet you decide you're just going to keep deferring to your quarterback, kind of like you did with Kyle Orton. You're like, well, guess what? I have these tools, but I'm not going to use them because I feel like my – this was one of the things about Kyle Orton. When they brought him out of retirement to play for the Bills, I think that he felt a certain compulsion, like almost like he owed it to Orton. Like, I have to give you the keys to the car and let you drive because you're here because we promised you. It kind of mirrors what you saw in Denver. Where he goes, well, Russell Wilson's here. So, yes, I have this team that was a really good rushing team last year that has a Javante Williams, that has these really nice running back pieces, but it's Russell Wilson, and I need to defer to him. He felt this compulsion to defer to the quarterback over what was good for the rest of the roster. And I just see that, and I say to myself, this guy hasn't learned. <laughs> he From one year to the next to the next, some of these things aren't just – it's not just a, a one-off. It's not a tangential thing that isn't a part of his overall makeup. It is woven into the fabric of who he is. And the, I also I, I worry because here in Buffalo, he wasn't given much to work with. In terms of quarterbacks, in terms of wide receivers, you know, he gets Sammy Watkins. And Sammy Watkins has a nice season under him with the head as offensive coordinator. But realistically, none of the players, I mean, I would ask yourselves, who is a player who not, because it's being an offensive coordinator is more than just picking a play off a call sheet. Being an offensive coordinator is also, hey, there's young players on this roster who need snaps to develop. We need to find game plans that incorporate some of these younger players. You know, it was one of my biggest criticisms of our own Ken Dorsey this year, 
you know, Khalil Shakir is all of a sudden starting for you at slot wide receiver in the postseason, and then people are mad that he's dropping footballs. And I say to myself, well, this is uh, an offensive coordinator who put together game plans that basically left this kid, I think he had 10 targets the entire regular season. You couldn't ever expect that kid to step into a role for you when it mattered like that. That's not how you grow a player. You you find an inclusive approach, kind of like Brian Dable did with this team. And as he kind of grew some of these young players like Dawson Knox and Devin Singletary, and you, you've never at any one of his stops as an offensive coordinator or head coach seen that kind of, that, that kind of foresight from Nate Hackett. Leonard Fournette actually became like contract extension worthy running back Leonard Fournette under Bruce Arians. He gets to Tampa and all of a sudden he's playing like the run. He's back to playing like the running back they saw as a rookie when everybody, he, he is what everybody thought he could be. That's kind of damning. I think if you're Nate Hackett, because you say, wait a minute, it took another offensive mind to get his hands on this running back before he could look like the talent that I had at my disposal and just, not squandered, but basically couldn't help grow. So not only did he marginalize all the Bills players, but that wasn't hard to do because our players weren't very good. But then also he seems to, he's like, he's almost every team's offensive kryptonite, but it's because he overthinks things. It's like, dude, how hard is this? You have Javante Williams. How many times are you going to, in that opening game that they lost against the Seahawks, how many times are you not going to run the ball from inside the five? And I just, it's that type of stuff that I think has followed him his whole career. Hopefully for the Jets' sake, it, it hopefully, uh, you know, the Tiger can't change his stripes on this one. If I'm a Jets fan, what I would want to know about this hire, who made it? Is this a hire being made by the GM? Did he, did, did Douglas look around and say, you know what, out of everybody who's available, this seems like the most qualified candidate. Or is this, a, is this a decision that was made by the same group that also thought Michael Fleur was the guy and the answer and a, a quality candidate for this position? Because you can see some shades of similarity between them, and I just worry that you, know, you get the same group of people doing the hiring without any outside input, you could end up with a similar result. And so it's with that that, I mean, obviously we have... Uh, <laughs> Our our interests lie in two totally different places. As a Bills fan, I see Nate Hackett going to Buffalo, and I kind of I, I I applauded the move, if only for my own selfish reasons. There's there's but your team is built very differently than the Bills team that he inherited here in Buffalo. I just hope he's learned something from all this. I really do. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Now from Buffalo, let's go to Nathaniel Hackett's next stop in Jacksonville as we visit with Gene Frenette of the Florida Times Union. Well, I mean, my first memory of, of Nathaniel Hackett is that he was one of the nicest guys ever to be uh, in terms of dealing with the media, had a terrific sense of humor, very engaging in that respect. Uh, as an offensive coordinator, I would say he was very up and down. Uh, he had some really good moments. Obviously, the the 2017 season for the Jaguars, where uh, you know he got he basically went was got a promotion from quarterback coach to interim offensive coordinator at the end of the 16 season because Gus Bradley got fired 
two games before the end of the season. Marone, Doug Marone took over as interim head coach, and they split their last two games. And then the following season, uh, you know, Marone was promoted to the to the head coach. And of course, him, him and uh, uh, Hackett and Doug had gone, gone went back all the way to their days together at Syracuse and also with the Buffalo Bills. So there was a long-standing relationship there. Had a terrific 2017 season. Uh, you know, but made sure that Blake Bortles was sort of more of a not not necessarily a, you know any any kind of a elite quarterback by any means, but he stayed away from mistakes. And the Jaguars had an unbelievable defense that year, and it made it easy for Hackett and for Blake Bortles, the quarterback, to operate because I believe the defense scored eight touchdowns that year, including in the playoffs. So it was tailor-made for a, a guy like Blake Bortles to have some success. Unfortunately, they couldn't sustain that the next year. And then by mid-November, Hackett uh, surprisingly got fired uh, after a 3-8 and eight start. Keep in mind, when you have the, the kind of defense they had in 2017, uh, the off, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on the offense you know, to you know, produce big passing-type uh, plays, right? They had Leonard Fournette. Uh, he was, I think, I believe a 1200 yard rusher. I want to say that year, something like that. So everything worked perfectly for the Jaguars that year. I mean, you couldn't have had a better, uh, planet aligning situation than what they had in 2017. So if it's easier on the quarterback, well, it's also easier on the offensive coordinator, right? Uh, so, you know, and everything was going fine, you know, even, even at the, Going into the 2018 season, they go to the AFC Championship game, right? I mean, they, I mean, they're literally 12 minutes away from beating the Patriots. Got a 10-point lead. It's 20 to 10. 12 minutes to go in the game. The the Jaguars just had just got the game's first turnover, and so it looked like they were going to beat the Patriots in Foxborough, which would have been a first. They had never beaten the Patriots in Foxborough before, and and certainly not with Tom Brady at quarterback, but. Game got away from them uh, towards the end. Brady led two game-winning, dr- two touchdown drives. And they pulled it out. Well, the following year, the Jaguars got off to a three-and-one start, and that included beating the Patriots and Brady in Jacksonville. They did have a very uh, overall. They had a they had a pretty darn good running game. It averaged about four point three per carry, and I believe it was pretty close to, to the. If my memory serves, I believe they might have been the number one running offense in the NFL. It, but when you watched it. It just didn't feel like it was the number one uh, rushing offense in the NFL because they were number one. They were always playing from ahead, and that's a, and that's a very very uh, key point uh, there. Is that you know when you're always playing from ahead, it's easier for your running game to be effective. I mean the Jaguars didn't have, as, as I recall that year, they went ten and six, but they didn't have any games where they had to rely on, um, you know throwing a lot i think they won only they had only one close game that whole year amongst the amongst their 10 wins they beat the chargers at home 20 to 17 all their other wins were by double digits jaguars had the number yeah they had the number one rushing offense in 2017 uh and they were only 17th uh best passing attack uh you know the jaguars lost their last two games that year so they you know they went into the postseason after losing two games uh, but then, you know, they, they, they beat the Bills 10-7 in, their, in the first uh, playoff game, and then they went and won a shootout the following week at Pittsburgh, 45-42. to 
you know, and the offenses were going up and down the field. And, and then, like I said, they had the tough loss with the Patriots. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, 2018 was a very, very weird season. And after those seven straight losses, I think one of the things that might have possibly factored into Nathaniel Hackett's firing, uh, beyond the fact that they had lost seven straight games, uh, he had made some cursed comment the week during Buffalo week about relaying a comment that Tom Coughlin, who was sort of the president of the Jaguars at the time, said about about the you know the terrible injuries that they were going through that year. And my guess is, and it's only a guess, I think that that comment uh, did not bode well for Nate Hackett's. Uh, uh, future there. Um, you know, my, you know, we have no way of proving it, but, uh, many of us think that that the timing of that, the fact that his firing came about five days after making that comment to the media, we don't think that that was a coincidence, but we'll never know with absolute certainty. In 2017, the Jaguars were very fortunate. They had a very injury, injury free year. Uh, Allen Robinson was already gone. Their, their receivers in 17 were Marquise Lee Alan Hearns and uh, Keelan Cole. Uh, Robinson had left after the after the 16th season, so he wasn't part of that. He wasn't part of that 17 team. Uh, but you know, by 18, uh, uh, yeah, some in, some injuries ha- had set in. Leonard Fournette only played eight games that year in in 2018. So they were, uh, you know, and, and Bortles, quite frankly. Um, you know, had a, didn't, did not have a, a good year. He had 13 touchdown passes and 11 interceptions that year. Their offense went from number six in the NFL to like, I want to say number 27 in 2018. Uh, and they were like, uh, again, the 26th ranked passing offense. You know, I, I go by production. I don't go by, you know, you know, what type of, you know, what type of attack that you, that you had. I mean, that, that has nothing to do with what will, what will likely happen with the Jets. Because first of all, you don't even know who your the quarterback's going to be for the Jets, so there's a lot of uncertainty there. So, listen, an offensive coordinator. People think that an offensive coordinator with his magical play calling is just going to be able to do all these magical things. And the truth is, you're only as good as the players you have. You know, if you don't have a if you don't have a true number one receiver who can be a threat down the field, if you don't have a if you've only got a just a so-so running game then it, it, it's not going to matter who's going to do the play calling. You know, Doug Peterson came in here this year, and he's been a breath, breath of fresh air for the Jaguars, right? Well, Doug Peterson also had the benefit of the Jaguars bringing in two new free agent receivers and a tight end. You know, they didn't have those guys last year. It's You know, I keep telling people all the time, a lot of times fans think that, you know, magical play calling can fix things. You can, you can, you can do things in play calling, that can occasionally help you win games, but more often than not, it's players that win games, not plays. That's going to wrap up part one of our special in-depth look at New Jets offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. We're going to have part two tomorrow. We'll take a trip to Green Bay to discuss Nathaniel Hackett's years as the offensive coordinator for the Packers and his work with Aaron Rodgers, and then, of course, his ill-fated tenure 
as head coach of the Denver Broncos. In the meantime, make sure that you check out everything we're doing over at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. We've got some awesome All-22 breakdowns on our channel, so go ahead and watch our videos. Subscribe if you haven't already, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. Visit our store, tpublic.com. That's tepublic.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, Bless You Thank You shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies. It's all there, tpublic.com. That's tepublic.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on itunes if you haven't done that already easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you could go ahead and do that for us we'd be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcast and content you know where to go that's play like a jet digital and play like a jet.com